0: Good morning everybody. Should I leave the mic as it is here or do I need to kind of crouch down a little bit like this, raise it up. Okay, just want to make sure. Well, listen, glad you're able to make it this morning. And if you have your Bibles, if you could turn it this time to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, if you could raise your hand Um, You can follow along and and, uh, read out of it. So just raise your hand if you need it. Otherwise, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you are good to go. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And it says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful of this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, um, before we even continue, I want to lift up Pastor Bill and his mom and the rest of his family, and I pray, Lord, that you would flood them with all the care, with all the support, with all the peace that they need during this season, that you would minister to each of them personally, and now as we get ready, Lord, to look at your word and to study your word, please don't allow us to have hardened hearts, but soften them, Lord, give us open hearts, open minds for what you have for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid there was a television show that was very similar to The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits. It was called Tales from the Dark Side. Every show was its own story and throughout the story there would be different unusual happenings that would take place with a very twisted ending, very unexpected ending similar to The Twilight Zone. Well at the beginning of every episode the narrator would always open the show saying this. Man lives in the sunlit world of what he believes to be reality. But there is, unseen by most, an underworld, a place that is just as real but not as brightly lit, a dark side. Not only was that the premise for a television show, but there's some truth behind that as well. See, there's an unseen realm, one we cannot see with our eyes. And in that unseen realm, there's a war that's been going on for centuries, for a very long time. An unseen war. And this war began when a high-ranking angel decided to rebel against God. And, of course, I'm referring to the devil. He's known as Satan, and that name means adversary. He's also called the serpent in Genesis, The New Testament calls him the devil. He's referred to by other titles also. The prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, the evil one, the ruler of the demons. Well, Satan led a rebellion of one-third of angelic beings against God, but he's not equal in strength to God. And his rebellion came up short. Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan and one-third of the angels were cast down or sent down to the earth. They've been active on the earth ever since. And they all have a future destiny. Revelation 20 tells us that that future that they have is the lake of fire. It says that when Jesus returns, and he's coming again, when Jesus returns to rule and reign, it tells us that the devil is going to be bound, and Jesus will reign for a thousand years. The devil will be bound throughout that time. At the end of that thousand years... Satan is going to be freed, and he's going to launch one final attack. He'll oppose the saints, and he's also going to oppose the nation of Israel. God is going to put a stop to that attack. And Satan will be sent to a place called the Lake of Fire for the rest of eternity. And his demons are going to be part of that judgment as well. So Satan's days are numbered. In the meantime, he is very active in this world today. And here's the problem. None of us are bystanders in this unseen war. We're right in the middle of it, whether you realize that or not. And Satan has an agenda. He wants to make a mess out of your life. Because if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you follow Him, if you've given your life over to Him, the devil's your enemy, and He wants to wreck your life. So because of that, you need protection. And God made that protection available to us. We're going to read about that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. It's spiritual protection. It's called the whole armor of God. And we desperately need that protection in this unseen war. So to begin with, we need to know why we need to be protected. What are the purposes of protection? And that's how we're going to start. We're going to start out looking at verses 10 through 13. The purposes of protection. The first one, the first purpose, is to obtain God's strength. To obtain God's strength. Ephesians chapter 6, look again at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, Paul begins what would be a call to arms. He says, be strong in the Lord. And that can also be rendered, um, strengthen yourself in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That last phrase, the Amplified Bible renders it, draw your strength from him. In spiritual matters, we are not to rely on our own strength. When it comes to spiritual war, we are not to depend on our own strength. If you're dealing with circumstances that are rooted in some type of spiritual conflict, if you're self-reliant, if you're not God-reliant, if you're not depending on his strength, you're going to fall flat on your face, so to speak. The devil can really mess things up. On the other hand, if you rely upon God, whatever spiritual conflict you're dealing with, you will find strength throughout that conflict. He is that strong. God is enormously strong that he can help us in the midst of spiritual conflict. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, this is how strong God is. It said, God worked his might in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Death could not keep Jesus down. God's strength prevailed over death, and that's how strong God is. And that strength is available to each of us in this unseen war. So that's what we need in spiritual warfare. One, we, one, way, one purpose, I should say, for God's protection is to obt- obtain God's strength. We need that. A second purpose for protection is to withstand the devil's tactics. To withstand the devil's tactics. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word for wiles, it can be translated schemings or craftiness. Now, if you haven't discovered this yet, the devil is a very crafty being. I don't know if you know that, but you should if you don't. And if you don't think he is, all you have to do is look back at what happened at the time of creation in Genesis chapter 3. God gave a prohibition to Adam and Eve said, you can eat all the trees that are in the garden, but there's one tree that you cannot eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one rule God had. Don't eat of that tree. So one day Satan comes to Eve and challenges what God said. Did God really say that? And that led into a dialogue that Eve decided to eat of that tree and gave the fruit to Adam, and Adam, knowing better as well, they both knew better, he ate of the tree as well. As a result, sin came in the world. We live in a fallen world ever since, and Satan is active in this fallen world. That's how crafty the devil is. We're not immune to the devil scheming against each of us, but the protection God provides us can certainly help us. Now, here's how crafty he is. He can get at us in different ways, discouragement, moral failure, confusion, frustration. In fact, when I began preparing for the study, normally whenever I prepare for something like this or for regroup on a Wednesday night, I'll normally devote time set aside where nothing can distract me, where there's nothing going on, and I plan that time in advance. But sometimes I also like to try to steal time on other occasions where maybe something else might come up. And I did that when I began preparing for this morning. So I start preparing. And minutes later, my cell phone goes off. And text messages just keep coming up. So I stop my prep. And I look at my phone. And I see all these text messages. Finally, they come to a stop. I thought, great. Back to my prep time. Minutes later, I get an email regarding something that I have to do. And so I get that taken care of. I thought, oh, this is nice. Now I can get back to my studying. Minutes later, I get two more emails regarding matters that had to be taken care of at that time. You talk about getting frustrated. That's sure sure how I felt. Now, I don't see the devil in every single thing that happens. There's usually two extremes when you deal with this issue of spiritual warfare. There's one extreme that says the devil has no involvement in any of it, and that's wrong. But the opposite extreme is wrong as well, that every single bad thing that happens is of the devil. And I don't buy into that at all. I try to be very careful regarding this matters, but when it came to my prep time, when I first started, it would not be a surprise to me if he used these other things as a distraction for me, and to get at me personally, and to get get me frustrated. And I sure was when I first began this. He is a very crafty being. But again, God has not left us on our own. He has provided protection. And his protection helps prepare us against the schemings of the devil. That's a second purpose. A third purpose for protection is to withstand the devil's forces. To withstand the devil's forces. Verses 12 through 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day in having done all to stand. When we face conflict with those around us that we can see it's possible that it might be driven by those around us who we cannot see and that's Satan's forces and he has plenty of them at his disposal. Look at this list again. Principalities, powers, that word powers comes from a word that refers to authorities. Who else? The rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, when you look at this massive army that Satan has at his disposal, does this sound like some kind of Mickey Mouse operation to you? I don't think it is. These are powerful beings. How powerful, how effective are they? Think of some of the most evil people in human history. I don't see how they could do things on their own might or power, but rather being driven by evil forces. I can't imagine that they wouldn't have done the things that they've done without them. Think of Saddam Hussein. He tortured people when he was ruling Iraq. He played a role in the torture and death of so many people. Even videotaping was done of their tortures, and he would watch the videotapes which is evil. How about Adolf Hitler and the Nazis? They consider themselves superior human beings and they look down upon Jews as lesser beings, and they slaughtered multitudes of them. I don't see how such evil could be done without evil forces driving them. That's how powerful they are. Satan he is amassed An invisible army of evil forces, and he wants to use them against each of us. But again, God has not left us without protection. Is it really possible to withstand everything that the devil throws at us? Yes, it is. It is possible. How? How is it possible to get God's strength in this unseen war? How is it possible to withstand the devil's tactics? How is it possible to withstand his forces? By using God's provision of protection. The protection he's made available to us. And that's what we come to now. The provision of protection. Look again at the beginning of verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God. That is our means of protection. The whole armor of God. That phrase, whole armor, it comes from a word that refers to a soldier's complete equipment, complete protection, total protection, being fully equipped for battle, not partially, but fully. Now, to illustrate the importance of this, imagine if you were a soldier back at the time of the Roman Empire, and you're on the front line of a battle that's about to happen, and you can see on the opposite side of the line enemy forces that are ready to come at you so you're there in the front you've got your armor on you're protected you've got your sword you've got everything on except a helmet do you think your enemy would be nice and sweet and so considerate to avoid hitting you in the head no that would be the first place he would go to because that's where you're vulnerable as a soldier if you don't have a helmet on, and you're protected everywhere else. Now, you've probably seen me long enough that and you figured figure it out. I love to wear shorts, if you haven't figured that out by now. But there are some times that, well, let me put it like this. Could you imagine if I were back in the day going into battle, and I was protected completely from the waist up, and I had no protection from the wa- below the waist, I'd be cut off at the knees because that's where I would be vulnerable. I would not be completely protected. Complete, total protection is needed. It's needed to resist the devil's attacks against us. Not partial protection, but complete protection. Look again at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look down at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Do you notice the posture that's being talked about here? This is a defensive posture. This is not like some soldier going out to a battle and saying, charge. He's there to protect himself. He's there defensively. And that's what the protection makes available to us. It's defensive protection. We're to defend ourselves. In James chapter 4, verse 7, James writes, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's what God's protection is for. When we use it, it enables us to stand firm against the devil's attacks. It helps us to resist them. It's not an offensive charge. It's a defensive posture. When that happens, we prevail against him. Now, to explain God's protection, Paul refers to a metaphor of a a Roman soldier's equipment. There were different individual pieces that made up the entire armor. And then there was also a weapon that was used by the soldier. In his case, it was a sword. Each portion of equipment in this analogy is associated with an area protection that God has made available to us and in total there are seven portions of protection that we have that make up the entire full armor of God each portion is very practical and necessary and if you're lacking in any of these areas of protection If you only have partial protection on, and you're not completely protected, then you're vulnerable to Satan, and you're vulnerable to ways that he can get at you. If you're completely protected, the devil's going to have a hard time trying to bring you down. So as we get ready now to look at these seven portions of protection, one by one Think of yourself and think if you're lacking in any of these areas of protection personally. Ask yourself if you are, because if you are, you're vulnerable and you don't want to be vulnerable in this unseen war. You need to be completely protected. So now we come to the portions of protection. Again, there are seven of them that we're going to look at. The first one is truth. Truth. Verse 14, the beginning of it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, if you're going to resist the devil's attacks, standing firm in truth is absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. And the truth that Paul is referring to here, it can be interpreted a couple of different ways. One form of truth refers to integrity. Integrity. Integrity, living a life of honesty, living a life of moral uprightness. That's for your protection. It's necessary in business. It's necessary in our relationships with others, especially within family if we're going to trust each other. It's necessary um, in everything because others will know that you're honest and you're trustworthy. But if you're not living in integrity, if you're not living in truthfulness, then you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to Satan if you're living a lie. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, We're to lay aside or we're to put away deceit. That's the opposite of truth. Deceit, it can ruin your marriage. It can ruin your reputation. It can harm your business. Businesses nowadays do training in which they deal with being upright and honest about all that you do because there's consequences that come from that. It can bring down a company. It can bring down, down a company's reputation. Truthfulness, that's one form, or integrity, that's one, fourth, one form of truth. Another form of truth is biblical truth. Biblical truth. To know that God's word is trustworthy and truthful is for your protection to know his word is trustworthy and truthful that is for your protection in john chapter 17 verse 17 when jesus was getting ready to be betrayed and then crucified he first prayed for his disciples and he prayed sanctify them by your truth your word is truth If you know God's word's truthful, it'll help you you rely on him in very difficult times. But if you don't know God's word's truthful, then you're vulnerable. If you have doubts about the Bible being true, it will leave you open to the devil's attacks. Let me give you an example of how this can happen. For decades in the schools, they've been teaching the theory of evolution. Not a proven fact at all. But that all things came out of nothing, rather than God creating the heavens and the earth. It's a subtle attack. Well, it's more than a subtle attack from the devil. It's a full frontal attack. Problem is, some believers have bought into this theory, which is completely different from what Genesis reveals. And even some Christian leaders have bought into it. Now, believing that has no effect whether or not you're saved, but it can sure harm the body of Christ. And some have bought into this idea that creation came out of nothing rather than God created the heavens and the earth. It's a, here's how it can be damaging. First off, let me explain the problems with this. Some people treat these early chapters of Genesis like they're folklore or fables and not history or facts. Other parts of the Bible, though, refer to those early chapters of Genesis as fact. There's a genealogy of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 3, going backwards that goes all the way back to Adam that would never happen if Genesis was a lie Jesus said in the end times that it would be like in the days of Noah when people were eating and drinking and marrying like nothing was going on and then came the flood and he said likewise people will be doing the same and then the end's going to come Jesus referred to the days of Noah as history, as fact. And he referred not just to Noah as history, but to the flood as history. That would have never happened if it was fable. And here's where this can be a very subtle attack from the devil. If he can get you to believe part of the Bible being folklore and not true it can open a door to begin to question other parts of the Bible being true. And if you start questioning the Bible, whether it's truthful, it can leave questions regarding your faith. And then when you're dealing with some kind of crisis personally in your life, if you don't know that you can trust what's in here, you can get very unstable. Can you see how subtle this attack can be on the truth of God's word? You need to know that this is truthful. That is for your protection. And if you have uncertainties about that, if you have questions about the Bible being true, don't let those questions simmer. Seek answers to them. Pursue answers. And the pastors here can certainly help steer you in the right direction regarding that, whether it be Pastor Bill, Pastor Chris, or myself, we would certainly stir you in the right direction because we don't want to let those questions simmer within you. It's important for your protection that you know that this is true. Truth. A very important role in God's protection. A very important portion of God's protection. Another portion of protection is righteousness. Righteousness. The latter part of verse 14, it says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, putting on righteousness. This is not a righteousness that comes from yourself. It's not a righteousness that's earned. It's not a righteousness that's felt. It's a righteousness that is given to you by God and that can only come from God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it tells us that we receive the righteousness of God Through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes you righteous. And if you truly know that. If you understand that you're righteous before God. Not because of you. But because of what Jesus did for you. That is for your protection. And you'll also protect yourself. When you're living a life of righteousness. Living a life of righteousness. It protects you from the devil's attacks. And God didn't leave you to yourself to try to do that. He gave you the Holy Spirit. When you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were given a helper living inside of you. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. He convicts you of sin if you do something wrong. He enables you to live righteously. He leads you in the things that you're to say and do. That's for your protection. He helps you live righteously. But if you forget you're righteous before God because of Jesus, if you forget that, you're vulnerable. If you think you're righteous because of your own deeds, you're vulnerable. And if you buy into that, you're going to live a very defeated life because you're going to fall short of a perfect standard that you're never going to fulfill. And when you stumble, if you think it's on you completely to live a righteous life, it can cause you to stop seeking the Lord when you stumble, when you fall. It can cause you to stop fellowshipping with others. It can cause you to stop reading your Bible, and you'll become prey to the devil's attacks. But if you remind yourself that your righteousness comes from God and not from you, that's for your protection. On the other hand... If you choose to live a life of blatant disobedience to God, knowing better, you're vulnerable, and the devil can make a mess out of your life. All you have to do, if you want to find out if that's true, look over the past few decades at various Christian leaders that stood up for God and then fell because of sexual sin or some encounter, whatever it be, And people that had a great reputation, all of a sudden their reputation became tarnished. Because the devil got at them. Because they didn't live righteously. They were able to and they fell short. And that's how the devil can bring you down. It's for our protection, righteousness. Another portion of protection is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, Paul probably had in mind the prophet Isaiah when he was talking about this. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings us into peace with God. Once you were saved, once you believed in Jesus Christ, you now have peace with him. With him, not against him. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, none, For those that are in Christ Jesus. And Satan will do everything he can to convince you that if you stumble and if you falter in any way, that God will then just disown you, reject you, and that you're no longer going to have peace with him. It's a lie from the devil. When you stumble, he can flood your mind with thoughts "Oh, you're lost. God's rejected you, and it's a lie. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he, referring to God, is faithful, and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, how are you protected by the gospel of peace? If you realize that you have peace with God, not because of your performance as a Christian, But because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Then you're protected. Because that's how you have peace with God. Believing in Jesus Christ. That brings you into peace with God. Not your performance as a a child of God. He's not a father to you because of you. But because of Jesus. And that's the grace of God upon your life. But if you're convinced that you have peace with God. And right standing with God based on your performance as a Christian, then you're vulnerable to the devil's attacks because that's not the basis for peace with God. If you stumble in sin, you could experience feelings like God doesn't love you anymore and that he's rejected you. If you don't believe those feelings, you'll guard yourself. But if you do buy into them, you'll beat yourself up and you will have no peace at all. It's a lie from the devil. Feelings can lie to you when they tell you things that contradict the word of God. And if you learn to reject those feelings, and if you've done wrong, if you confess and repent of that wrongdoing of that sin, you'll protect yourself. The gospel of peace, that's for your protection. You have peace with God because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's important to remember that for your protection. Another portion of protection, important one here, Faith, faith, verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Paul uses an analogy of a shield regarding faith. Now, back in the days of the Roman Empire, the soldiers used shields that were four feet high and the fronts of the shield had leather on them. The leather would be wetted down. The reason for that is when they would go into battle and enemies would would launch fiery darts at them, they would hold the shields up to protect themselves from the darts. And the wetted leather that was on the front, it would extinguish the fire from the darts so that the shields would not catch on fire. Satan will throw anything at you to cause you to be scared and to, be caught, and to be full of unbelief. And his fiery darts come in many forms. Dreadful thoughts. Difficult circumstances. Fears of bad things to come. Feelings that bring you down. Those are some of the fiery darts of the devil. And he's good at launching them at you. Well faith is your protection against those attacks. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. I'm sure you know it. Without faith. It is impossible to please God. God wants us to trust in Him when we're attacked, and He will work on our behalf. J.B. Phillips said this We will never be out of range of Satan's fiery darts, but they can be quenched and rendered harmless by the shield of faith. Satan's fiery darts cannot penetrate the shield of determined, living, dynamic faith. In God your protection is when you trust God in the midst of adversities when your faith is in him it extinguishes those attacks of the devil it helps you reject any terrifying thoughts that cross your mind it helps you remove fear of anything bad to come it can bring you calmness in the midst of adversity in the midst of difficult circumstances Genuine faith and trust in the Lord can bring you a calmness and a peace in the midst of all of that. But if you're self-reliant and not god reliance rather than having faith in God when you're attacked, if you're self-reliant, if you're depending on yourself in those times, you're vulnerable and the devil can get at you. Now, there's something else about this analogy with the shield, and this is interesting. When the soldiers would come to battle and they were in groups, when the flaming arrows would come at them, the soldiers would have their shields in the air and they would lock them together like one big, massive barrier protection. It formed great protection when others were together. And you'll find... Great protection from the devil's attacks. When you have others in faith, standing in faith alongside with you. That is for your protection. When you're not doing well, when you're having to trust in the Lord, when you have other believers that come alongside with you, praying with you, praying for you, helping you in your faith and trust in the Lord, when they're looking to the Lord on your behalf and with you, there's a strength and a comfort that comes from that. There's a protection that comes from that. But if you don't have other believers standing alongside with you in those times, you're vulnerable. If you're all alone when you're attacked, you are very vulnerable against the devil's attacks. If you're isolated, it's not good. One of the purposes that we do midweek groups during the week is not just to study the Bible and not just to to talk about the Bible, but it's to minister to one another. It's to grow our faith and trust in the Lord. There's a comfort that comes from that. There's a strength that comes from that because we're not isolated during those times. We have others coming alongside with them, and we come alongside with them. It's one of the reasons why we do midweek groups. It's important. Faith. Faith. An important area of protection. Here's another portion of protection. Salvation. Salvation. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Now, this might raise a question. Remember, Paul's writing to people that have given their lives to Jesus Christ. They're saved. These are saved people he's writing to. So why is he telling them to put on salvation? What's that all about? Well, you're protected when you remember what God has done for you. And when you think about salvation and God saving you, here's what it means. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, it tells us to put on as a helmet the hope of salvation. And the hope that he's talking about is not an I hope so. Oh, I really hope so. It's a certainty. It's a confident expectation. Pastor Bill talked about that earlier this morning with the loss of his father, a confident expectation that his father's in the presence of the Lord. It's not like, I hope he's there. It's, I'm looking forward to seeing him in the future. That is a certain expectation. Chuck Swindoll said this, we need to have assurance of our position with Christ. Why? Because Satan would like nothing better than to aim his arrows at our minds convincing us that we don't really belong to Christ, that we aren't eternally saved. Listen, he would love to rob us of the hope of our resurrection, our glorification, and our eternal home in heaven. You are protected when you remember, regardless of whatever attacks that Satan throws your way, that as a child of God, you're protected when you remember that you are on the winning side of this unseen war. You have a future. You have a hope. That future is to be with Jesus for all of eternity. You're assured that once you pass for, from this life, just like with Pastor Bill's father, that you're going to be in the presence of the Lord in heaven. That's how salvation protects you. That's how you put on salvation, knowing what's ahead. Or should Jesus come in our lifetime and rapture us? And that can happen at any moment. There's no signs that have to happen before that takes place. He could come any moment and get us. There's a hope and an expectation that if he does that, we're going straight into the presence of the Lord. Again, that is for your protection. Whatever attacks you face, to know what your future is, to know that you're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity... That is for your protection. But if your thoughts and feelings tell you that you're not saved, and yet you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you buy into those thoughts and feelings, you're vulnerable. You'll be unstable. Those are lies that are straight from the devil. If you've not come to the point of giving your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not come to a saving faith of Jesus Christ, Not only are you not saved, but you're especially vulnerable. Because you're going in the direction of what will ultimately happen to the devil. And it doesn't have to end that way. I'll talk more about that when we get to the end. Salvation. Putting on salvation. That's reminding ourselves of what our future is. That's for your protection. Here's another portion of protection. A big one. The word of God. The word of God. Verse 17. The latter part. And the sword of the Spirit, here's what we're to take up, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this is associated with a weapon, but it's not being used offensively. It's being used defensively. It's being used for protection, and it's a powerful area of protection. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's interesting, there's two different Greek terms that translate into our English term word. First there's logos, or logos, and that's referring to the written word. Paul doesn't use that here, though. He uses a different Greek term, rhema. That's referring to the spoken word. Being verbalized. See, there's the content of the word of God. That's the logos. And then there's the expression or the application of the word of God. That's the Rima. Putting it into action. Not just knowing what it says, but living by it. What is spoken, living by it. It's not enough to only know what God's word says. We're protected when we know and apply what it says application. Remember, this is called the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to take the Word of God and to transform our lives if we apply it, if we live by it. And when that happens, we're protected in different ways. We're protected when we know and apply what the Word of God says as to how we're to live our lives, how we're to live our lives, It directs us in a way so that the devil cannot destroy your life. Avoiding drunkenness. If you're living by the Word of God, you'll do that. Avoiding all kinds of sexual immorality. Making wise, godly decisions. If we know and obey the Word of God, we'll protect ourselves. Well, we're also protected if we know and apply the Word of God against areas of temptation. Against areas of temptation. Jesus modeled this when he was tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter 4 talks about this. Jesus had been fasting in the, de- in, in the desert. He was hungry. And so one day the devil comes to him and he says, Turn these stones into bread. And he was tempting Jesus to misuse his power. Jesus knew the word of God and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now he didn't just know the word; he applied it. He did not allow himself to misuse his power. He put God's word into action. But also knowing what God says about well, let me put it this way: another area of God's um, knowing and applying God's word is when we know and apply it accurately. And not out of context. Knowing the word of God and applying it accurately and, out of, and not out of context. There was another temptation that the devil threw Jesus' way. In Matthew chapter 4 verses 5 to 6 it says, The devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and it said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And here's how the devil tempted him to misapply the word. For it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now Jesus knew that the devil was misapplying scripture, out of context, and he protected himself. And so he responded, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Knowing and applying the word of God, knowing it in context and not out of context, is for your protection. Nowadays, online there is so much good teaching, good Bible teaching that's available to be found, so readily available, especially on YouTube. With that, there's a lot of bad teaching as well. A lot of false teaching. A lot of very false teaching. There's usually two problems with false teachings. Either they're not found in the Bible, or they're based on misinterpreting the Bible out of context or inaccurately. If you not only know what the Bible says, but if you know what it says in its proper context, you'll protect yourself from these false teachings. It's for your protection. But if you do not take the time to know God's word, to read it, to study it, to know what it says, if you don't take the time for that, you're vulnerable. And the devil can get at you. How do you know if you're living in a way that's pleasing to God by reading and studying what this says. This is one of the reasons why we, do, we promote a Bible reading program every year. It's to encourage you to get into God's Word in some systematic way. And here's one of the great things about doing that as well. When you're reading each book of the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, rather than a verse here in one book and a verse there in another book, when you read it in sequence, you see everything that's written in its proper context. You begin to understand it in its proper context. And that's for your protection because it helps you from misinterpreting what it says and thus from misapplying what it says. If you know what God's word says and you do not apply it to your life, you're vulnerable. To know what it says, to not obey it, is to give the devil an opportunity to mess up your life. The Word of God is not here strictly to be understood as an academic tool, as an academic book. It's to be a tool used by the Holy Spirit to change and to transform your life. That's the power of the Word of God. It's not just here for head knowledge. It's here for heart knowledge to change us, to transform us. To make us in the people that God wants us to be. That's the power of the Word of God. It's a portion of protection and it's needed. It's for your protection. Finally, one more area of protection, and that's prayer, but not just any prayer, continual prayer. Continual prayer. Verse 18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. In supplication for all the saints. Now, in Paul's analogy of armor, nothing's associated with prayer, but there's no question that this is an area of protection, and it's a necessary area of protection. The person that is dependent on God in this unseen war is the person that prays. The person that prays. And the praying that that he's talking about here This is not like reciting prayers. This is not like the kid that prays at his bedside, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's reciting prayers. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about an alert, watchful dependence on God. There's an urgency behind it. And notice the frequency of prayer that he says, praying always. Continual prayer needs to be a lifestyle, not an occasional thing. It tells God that you're consistently, continually dependent on him. And it's needed. Continually looking to him. There are two very similar words that he uses here in reference to prayer. There's prayer and supplication. The word that's translated prayer, it's a general term that refers to calling out to God. Then the word translated supplication, it's a similar term but it refers to petitioning God for something. When you're attacked by the devil, your response should be to turn to God in prayer right then and there. If there's a need for something when you're attacked, ask God for it. And God can help us in our praying. We're told here to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It means that you're praying in accordance with the Holy Spirit means you're praying in line with the will of God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Sometimes... We don't know what to ask God for when we're attacked. And the Holy Spirit can help us in that area. He can burden your heart. He can put a burden on your mind to be asking Him for something. When we pray, there's a group of us that prays before service every Sunday morning for the service and for various needs of the church. When we start out that time, one of the very first things that I'll pray is if there's anything that we should be praying for specifically that God would place those things on our hearts and minds. The reason for that, the reason I open with that, is so that we don't miss out on whatever God has for us and what God wants to do. It's a very important request that we make. But not only are we to pray for ourselves when we're attacked, we're to pray for others as well when they're attacked. It says, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints... Others need our prayers as well. They face the devil's attacks, and they need to be prayed for as well. And if the Holy Spirit ever burdens you or prompts you to pray for somebody, it's especially interesting how God will work in those instances. I read a great example of this years ago. Somebody that was a pastor in Ford at the time shared a story, true story, of what happened. I want you to pay attention and listen to this. One Monday afternoon around 4 p.m., A woman in Jack's congregation, Jack was the name of the pastor, a woman in Jack's congregation was preparing dinner when she suddenly became concerned about him. She tried to put him out of her mind, but for some reason she couldn't stop thinking about him. She left the kitchen, went into her bedroom, and began praying. As she prayed, she began crying. She pleaded with God to sustain Jack in this crisis, whatever it was, this went on for 30 minutes. Then as suddenly as it came, the burden left her. She went back to cooking and didn't think about it again until the next Sunday morning when she saw Jack at church. She told Jack what had happened and asked him if anything was wrong. With a look of amazement, he shared his howling experience. This is great. On that same, same Monday... He was flying his private single-engine plane from Miami to Fort Pierce, Florida. Being in a hurry, he failed to check his fuel. About halfway to Fort Pierce, the plane's engine began to sputter and finally quit. He looked at his watch. It was 4 p.m. That's the time this woman was burning to pray for him. He continues, As the plane was losing altitude, Jack started praying and looking for a place to land. But there was no suitable place in sight. As he prepared for a crash landing, Jack spotted a field that had just been plowed and cleared for painting. By that time, his aircraft was losing altitude rapidly, and the field was still a long way off. He knew the outcome of this situation was totally in the Lord's hands. Jack made it to the field. When his plane finally came to a halt, the nose cone was resting gently against a tree. Neither Jack nor his plane was damaged in any way. As Jack thanked God for saving him, he looked at his watch. It was 4.30 p.m. That's when this lady was no longer burned to pray for him. That's an example of spirit-driven prayer for others. To, be dependent, to not be dependent on God in prayer, that's to leave yourself vulnerable to the devil's attacks. It's an indication that you're self-reliant. And again, the devil can can stumble you and bring you down. God did not desire for you to handle things on your own. You need to be dependent on him in prayer in this unseen war. Now, this unseen war has been going on for a very long time. Until Jesus returns to rule and reign, and that day is coming, but until that happens, you need complete, total protection. So my question is this. Are you completely protected? Are each of these seven portions of protection in place in your life? If you are, you're in a good position. If you're not, you're vulnerable. And those are areas of protection that you need. Now, there's going to be an end to this war. And as I mentioned, the devil is going to be judged. He's going to a place called the Lake of Fire and his demons his army will be, will go there as well unfortunately that's not all that will go there as well people that have rejected jesus christ are on a destination for there as well revelation chapter 20 warns of a time to come called the great white throne judgment and anybody that has not come to faith in jesus christ that's their ultimate destiny the same destiny of the devil and it's not going to be a place of partying and celebration. It's being separated from God for all eternity, eternal judgment. But that does not have to happen to you. That's why Jesus came. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into this world, died on a cross to pay the penalty of your sins. Each of us have sinned, have come into this world, and have sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no exception to that. One sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. And so something has to happen for your sin to be forgiven. And Jesus did that for you. He went on a cross, paid the debt, the penalty of your sins, and was resurrected from the dead three days later, defeating death and opening the door for us to be saved. If you you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you give your life to him, you have an eternal destiny to come of heaven. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord for heaven. This life is a small blip of time compared to all of eternity. But you can spend it for all of eternity with Jesus. If you've never come to that place, you can do so. You need to realize that you're a sinner in the eyes of God. And you need to realize that Jesus has made a door open for you to be saved. It means that you come to him, you ask him to forgive you of your sins, you believe what he did on the cross was to pay the penalty of your sins, you place your trust in him, As your Lord and Savior, you give your life to him, seeking to follow him, seeking to please him. And when that happens, you have an eternal destiny with him. At the end of the service, my wife will be at this corner over here and I'll be at this corner over here. And if you've never come to the point of placing your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that before you leave here. And you can know for your protection that heaven will be your destiny. You can know that before you leave here, and I hope that you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that if anybody is here that is not saved, I pray that you would personally speak to them and show them their need for Jesus to save them from their sins. And please work whatever you have to do to draw them to you, to bring them to Jesus, to bring them to salvation. I pray, Father, for any of us that have areas of our lives where we're not protected Show us what we need to do, Lord, how to respond, that we would be protected in those areas. Make us the men and women that you've called us to be, and guard us from the attacks of the devil. Thank you for the protection that you've made available to us. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.